everybody, and welcome to the world's favorite youth baseball podcast, Clearing the Bases, featuring Coach Jimmy Filangieri. I'm David Friedman, and I want to thank you for coming along this ride with us. How are we doing today, Coach? Well, to tell you the truth, Dave, I'm doing better now than I was last episode. Okay, well, that's good to know. Yeah, What's we, going on? We went on a two-game win streak, so the boys oh, are doing right. well. And we just came off a doubleheader today. We actually, we, we, we lost both games, but you know how I feel about that. It's not about the wins or the losses. It's about the way the boys play the game. And I'm starting to see a little bit of a turn in, in the way they're approaching the game. And we played a very, very good team, very talented. And the boys competed and we were in both games. And I'm very proud of them. I'm really proud of them. And you know, like we've said before, you can be, sometimes be more proud of them in in a loss than you are in a win. And today was one of those days. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, it's all about um, showing that competitive spirit and tr- doing, you know, making sure that the effort and the attitude is there. And that's a victory in its own. Absolutely. So we're heading down the right path. Well, that's good. Good, good, good. So speaking of going down the right path. I have a very special guest this week. Very proud to have with us. He is a published author. His book is Coaching Champions for Life, which is endorsed by the ABCA, American Baseball Coaches Association. Everybody, please welcome on our show this week, Mr. Adam Sarancic. Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing good, Adam. Good to see you. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's great to hear. We appreciate you. We know everybody's time is valuable. We appreciate you taking some time out of your life to spend a few minutes with us here on the show. Thank you. First, I want to congratulate you guys on the success of the podcast. Uh, You guys are doing a fantastic job. And on behalf of all the coaches and players out there that have the uh, opportunity to listen to it, thank you. Thank you. You guys are doing a great job. I've listened to a number of the podcasts and you guys are dealing with important stuff, uh, important issues, and you do a great job covering it. So thank you. Well, that's great to hear. Yeah, we really appreciate that. You know, we do get a decent amount of uh, positive feedback on our uh, on our Twitter and on Facebook and whatnot. It's nice to hear somebody of uh, your uh, esteemed position to say something like that to us, because, of course, not being a like a live radio or TV show, we don't get any instant feedback. Uh, from from the the crowd, so it is uh, very nice to hear that. We appreciate you saying the kind words. Our listenership has been growing and growing, and we are uh, Jimmy and I. We say it after uh, during every show. So thankful for the people that uh, that listen and people like you that come on as guests. Uh, couldn't do it without you, and uh, we're just we're happy to, that we are providing something people find uh, positive service. So the reason why uh, we wanted to have you on, obviously, you've been involved in uh, youth sports, uh, a lot of youth baseball. I know that you're involved in other youth sports as well. Uh, but for you know decades at this point, you have a lot of positive things to say. You're a big believer in change and not resting on your laurels when it comes to how to set up teams and how to set up leagues and all that. And that's stuff that Jimmy and I talk about all the time. I think, Jimmy, you first really became aware of Adam through his article in Inside Pitch Magazine, right? Yeah, I was going through the, I guess it was the September, October issue of last year, and I ran across Adam's article that was entitled, Does Youth Baseball Have the Courage to Change? And right away, as you could imagine, it caught my attention, read the article, and I thought it was a good subject 
So I reached out to Adam and we had a long phone conversation discussing coming on the show and, and what we're all about. And uh, here we are. All right. Great. Um, so talking about youth baseball on the article, does youth baseball have the courage to change? Obviously, that's something we've tackled as a topic multiple times in the last year and a half or so that we've been putting these shows out. So Adam, let's let's start getting into it. Let's talk about some of your uh, let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got involved in really being active with promoting change in youth youth baseball. Great, great. First, very briefly, I cannot do a show like this without thanking all of the youth coaches and volunteers in youth sports of any kind, not just baseball, but all the sports. It's a a big, uh, you know, firm, big deal to me that we we thank all of you guys and all of the volunteers that are involved in youth leagues, the women, men, and any sport in any way without their volunteering and supporting the leagues, the youth would not be where they are in High school coaches would not, and college coaches would not have the programs that they have uh, without the youth programs and the high school programs being such great feeder programs, you know, to them. So I just want to say thank you for for all those things and sports officials too. Uh, without sports officials, umpires in baseball and officials in all sports, I have to give a, a big shout out to them uh, and for all of the work and volunteer time that they, they do. It, it takes all of us. It takes a village, as they say, and it's hopefully it continues as strong. And if we can make some positive changes, it'll continue to grow, you know? <laughs> so I have to start that way. Um, yeah, very briefly, I just want to take a few things from my background, tell you how I kind of came to, you know, some of the philosophies and, and the foundations for the way I coach, the way I administrate when I'm on a board or, when I'm recommending change. So uh, my wife and I uh, have been married for 46 years. So there's a, a stability base there. We had our 46th wedding anniversary last Saturday, June 25th. Congratulations. Uh, congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> um, as you guys know, every positive good thing that I've done in my adult life, I owe to her. So without her being part of the team, it's just none of it would be possible. I know that uh, feeling well, Adam. Yes. <laughs> For, uh, from a sports point of view, one of the things I have coached, uh, baseball, basketball, soccer, softball, but uh, maybe a little bit outside of the box, I've also coached bodybuilding, uh, and in particular, female bodybuilding. And my wife was a champion uh, female bodybuilder. So how that relates to all this, one of my philosophies is you will have better players when you start to see your players as athletes. And if you can train them as athletes first, you will be able to develop much better players. And it was through my years in uh, coaching bodybuilders and starting to look at players more as athletes that I started to become a much better coach. A lot of my history uh, in uh, leagues, I've developed a lot of leagues and started leagues myself, served on boards. But a lot of my experience uh, in just the intricacies of youth baseball from a league and administrative perspective it comes from my sister. I have a younger sister. She and her husband for 35, 40 years have been in charge of a little league in Southern California, La Habra Little League. My brother-in-law, Dave, has been a coach for 35 years, and my sister has been in charge both of that league and the district, uh, serving on the board and president of the board and things like that. So a lot of what I have to say comes from that background. I have a brother, a younger brother, who was a football player, 
and he got all the muscle in the family. <laughs> he was so uh, let me just quickly refer to maybe uh, some of the things that some of our older listeners may identify with when it comes to coaching and, and getting involved in baseball and stuff. I grew up in sunny Southern California where my normal routine was, you know, riding my bike home from school, grabbing a quick snack and heading out to play with my friends, all sports, right? We started out young playing, you know, stickball uh, and, you know, wiffle ball, softball on a, a cul-de-sac. And as we got a little bit older, we went down to the, the school uh, and played sports there. The, the, the real advantage that I had was these, these group of boys were a mixed age. So they weren't all my age. There were some older. And that really is an advantage, you know, growing up playing with older boys. Uh, and then they were really, really good athletes as well. And then through school, both youth baseball and high school, I was lucky enough to play with uh, players who went on to play uh, professional baseball. So uh, the professional baseball player that wrote the forward to my first book, Jamie Quirk. He and I has nine-year-olds played in the 11 and 12-year-old division. And then Gary Carter, the Hall of Fame catcher, and I played in the same league in high school. And we were the only two sophomores on varsity in high school. The thing I learned from both of them that kind of influenced very early on my books was they were really, really, really good. But they carried themselves, they and their families, with a lot of class and a lot of grace. I mean, they were often, you know, phenomenal athletes. Jamie and his brother, Brian, and brothers, Brian and David, they were really good athletes, but they were very humble and they, they, carried, they carried themselves with a lot of grace. So back in the day, believe it or not, guys, we did not have baseball bats of our own. So I grew up in my backyard throwing up rocks and hitting it with a broomstick out into the field over my back fence. That's how I learned to hit. And I learned to throw a baseball by... You know, the two sidewalls in our, our yard had a big lot, 90 by or 80 by 120 lot. Either side was block walls. And my father drew a black rectangle on the wall. And I used to use the edge of a outdoor sidewalk as the mound. And I would throw <laughs> throw balls hour after hour after hour into it on the lines of that um, black, uh, you know, rectangle on the wall. But early on, I, I, I was drawn to not only playing sports, but I looked at sports a little bit differently from looking at players and the way players came together as a team and how players moved. And growing up in Southern California, I just didn't go to games and stuff, but I actually, of course, we just had a so many phenomenal coaches. I would go watch Rod Dato coach at USC, Augie Garrido coach at Cal State Fullerton. And not just picking up tips, you know, from them on, you know, how to throw a field and hit a baseball, but how they ran their teams, how they connected with players and really learned a more holistic way of going about coaching. But when you watch them practice, as well as so many great coaches down there, you really saw how they connected with players as people and treated them with respect. Um, yeah, and then um, so after then I'll end by saying that um, I opened a sports academy uh, where I trained athletes, primarily baseball players, but soccer and basketball and football and other sports too, to be better athletes before I would train them out in the field to be better players and also counsel them on nutrition and career and college counseling. So kind of it was a, a more holistic uh, way of going uh, about it. So. Yeah, that's kind of very short, kind of some of the background pieces that 
you know, establish the foundation for what I'm going to say today. So, Adam, are you still involved with the Positive Coaching Alliance? I, I am an impact trainer for them, and they uh, published uh, in their blog, in their um, Facebook pages and blogs and things out a lot of my articles. Uh, so that's the extent. I have not done anything with them in a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not 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 recently. Then, yeah, but obviously it's a uh, it's an organization that I completely 100% endorse and was very happy to contribute uh, in any way that I that I could during the time that I was with them. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So let me ask you a question. When getting back to the article that you wrote in Inside Pitch yeah. Magazine, because again, this is something that Dave and I believe that changes need to be made in in youth baseball what prompted you to write the article is it, is it really the same reason well i think what prompted me mostly was i feel like today people are chasing trophies and championships and medals in all sports more uh, than they than they should and we're kind of getting away from why are we coaching? Why, why should coaches coach? Why, what's really the input here? I mean, it's fun to win. It's fun to go to tournaments and do well, but you know, there's, there's more to it. You know, I have a philosophy that we coach people, not sports. And we're, it's the quality of the person, not the player. That's the most significant outcome. Um, and I just, after you have the blessing of coaching for a long period of time, what you recognize is you will be receiving communications from your players that played, you know, for you 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and not a single one of them will mention, will mention wins and championships. Right. They will all, if you've done a good job, they will all thank you for making them a better person. Okay. So that's, that's one thing. The second thing is though, I, I'll give you a story. You'll appreciate this as a club ball coach. And I'm, I'm not putting down club ball here. I'm just maybe illustrating a point that, so much of baseball today has become a business, okay? Um, showcases, club ball, uh, a lot of the organizations around the country pushing pieces of technology and stuff. They're, they're, you're using the proliferation of sports of all types to make money, okay? And sometimes I feel like kids get caught up in the pursuit of medals and championships and don't realize that they're just being seduced into supporting a business, okay? So probably 15 years ago, I was watching a club ball game early in the summer, one of the first games that these two teams played. And I was there watching a shortstop of mine who I'd worked with since he was nine years old. And he had already accepted a scholarship. Okay. We watched the game and there were, uh, I was sitting next to six college coaches of all different levels, community college, NAIA, all the way up to D1. And after the game, the coaches started to get up. And I said, will you guys just hang for a second? I just got to, I know the answer to this question. I just got to ask it anyway. Out of the 21 players that played in this game, you know, nine starters for each team and three subs, how many are you even remotely interested in as potential players for your program? And they, and they started saying, let me guess. I don't even want you to say. The shortstop on the Portland team, he said, yeah. And the left fielder on the Salem team, yeah. Anybody else? No. Okay, now let me ask you this. If if you came to watch these same two teams play at the end of the summer when they played 60, 70 more games, how many more players would you be interested in at that time, do you think? 
And they said, none. And I said, why is that? They said, because they're not going to be any better. They're not going to be any better. They're playing games. There's value to games, but they're throwing, hitting, fielding mechanics will not change. And when we come to watch them, we know what we see every day at practice in our programs, and we know what it's going to take, both tangibles and intangibles, to fit in, to walk on and not miss a step. And we're not seeing it today. And I feel like that has kind of become the norm that we're out there playing way too many games. We're winning games. We're winning championships. We get medals. We get accolades. And for some reason in our minds, we think that our leagues are doing the right thing in developing great players and great people. And they may not be. And what's happening, as we say, is exposure is getting these people, these <laughs> getting these players exposed. Right. right. Yeah. So that's kind of. So what do you, like what, what do you think is driving that? Because I have my opinions on what is driving the, 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 the problem of playing too many games and not enough practices. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what your viewpoint is and then I can give you yeah. mine. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What is driving it? Well, let me just say this. I think we have to start, and you guys mentioned this in a previous podcast. Like I say, I've listened to your, a number of your podcasts, and I remember one of the early ones, you guys really drove home a point, which I really thought was great. You've got to be open to change. Yes. Right? I mean, we get stuck in our ways of doing things, and change is hard. Change takes a lot of work, right? So I think that some uh leagues get stuck doing it the way, whether it's a national organization and, you know, won't mention any names kind of, well, this is the way we've always done it. And I heard you guys comment about this, you know, it's the way we've always done it. Um, And Albert Einstein used to say, you know, you can't use the same thinking to solve the problems as you use to create the problems. (laughs) Okay. You got to be open to change. All right. Another thing you guys mentioned was, you know, it's not this way everywhere, but I really think in a lot of areas, baseball's decreasing in popularity. One of the stats you guys mentioned I really thought was great was, you know, at one point, the average age of an MLB fan was 42. And 15 years later, it was 57. It's the same people, right? It's the same (laughs) people. And so it's like, we need to stop and, and take, you know, take stock of that. The other thing is, if you look, I don't know where you guys get your news feeds from, but let's just say MSN.com. Not too many years ago, it, the section uh, for sports in that feed was followed by esports, right? There's a whole section on esports. If you do your homework on esports, it's as popular as any sport in the world. The, the amount of people that follow it and attend their world championships events and stuff is phenomenal. Yeah, yep. it's an indication of this generation. All right. I call them the point and click generation. If you're going to appeal to them, engage them and retain them, you have to make sure that your sport is understanding that from the time they can walk, they've got a device in their hands and that device gets them engaged immediately and gives them immediate feedback. Right. Yep. And that's not how we run our baseball teams and leagues all right players by and large are bored they're not for them okay they didn't grow up with as few of options as you guys did and i did okay they've got tons of options for their time all right so we are losing them 
for by middle school to lacrosse and other sports that have more action. I mean, this whole idea of shortening baseball games just blows me away. Yeah. Why? In the, I've got no better, no place better to be in an afternoon or an evening than at a baseball field, right? right? I mean, at a baseball game, if I'm sitting at, you know, watching the Mariners play, talking to my family and friends, having a choice of 20 different foods, right? <laughs> and somebody's telling me they want to shorten that experience. That's, that's crazy to me. I've got no place better to be, no place I'd rather be. And yet it's a reality, all right? It's a reality that um, these kids are not engaged. And that's a whole nother podcast that you've got done before. And I would love to be a part of the next one. But so getting back to the first point is one of the things that you have to do that they won't do, they get a system and they will not evaluate the talent and the commitment and the challenges with an open mind every year. Is this really what's best for this group of players and these teams this year? I don't care what we did last year. I don't care what we did years before. Times are changing. Let's have an open mind to change uh, you know, what we're doing. And don't let the outside parameters of what the league or the, you know, whatever define you. Let me give you a quick example of our league this year. In our league, we play JBO baseball and it has three divisions, National American and Federal, which is great. All right. I love that that you know, you're more developed, maybe more committed players. You know, are divided up so that you're playing equal talent. And but the, the league had a rule that if you have one federal level, highest level team, uh, and two lower level teams, you must have two middle level teams. Well, guess what? The middle level this year was weak, and therefore they didn't have 11 or 12 middle level American level players. Yet the league, because this is the way we've always done it. This is the requirement of the district that we have two uh, middle American level teams. They divided the players up on two teams. So they had half the team that should have been there and half the team that should not have been there. And it absolutely ruined the entire season for the whole division. All right. And that's a great example. You know, we did the best we could. I'm not saying the coaches didn't make it worthwhile and, and develop the players well and all that kind of stuff. But there's a great example of being stuck in your old ways, not being willing to have an open mind every year with what is best for that group. And finally, when it comes to change, and I'll, I'm sorry, Dave, I'm rambling on here. You're good. But uh, the last thing is, you know, you have to decide why the player is there. Just because a player is really good doesn't mean he should take the spot of somebody that's maybe not quite as good but far more committed. We had players this year, and I don't know why baseball is this way. This drives me crazy. We had guys miss league games to play flag football, to play lacrosse, to play other sports. Can you imagine? I don't know what it's like in your area. Can you imagine if a baseball player went to his football coach in the fall and said, I'm sorry, I'm missing today's game. I'm going to go play baseball. That that wouldn't that wouldn't happen, right? Now, yeah. It would not fly, right? But I'm not saying the guy shouldn't be allowed to play. No, but let's let's from the get-go define commitment and what he's willing to do. I'm not giving his spot to a younger player who is just really rabid about baseball and really wants to grow and get better at baseball and, and give his spot to somebody else who you know is going to go off and, and play other sports. Yeah, so that's something that we've talked about where 
and and along the same philosophy of what you talk about, and we'll get into this a, a little bit more down the road here, but where we're we're not we're not trying to make baseball players or trying to make good people, good athletes. And part, part of that is, is playing multiple sports so that, especially as the younger kids, so that they're developing the different types of muscles and different types of movement skills and whatnot. Um, And when that's one of the things that has become a big bone of contention in some, in some cases is because baseball is now an 11 month out of the year sport for our area up in, up in the Northeast uh, I'm sure there's areas in the South that, and out West where it's 12 months out of the year, but we generally get December off at least between rec ball and school ball and travel ball. Uh, so, but that's one of those things where we, we got to keep coming back to where, you know, how, how can you have both of, Hey, we want you to play our things. Oh, but by the way, don't miss anything of, of ours. And then it gets down to, okay, well, so springtime is baseball time. So that's when you should be playing baseball, but it's also travel soccer. Travel soccer is huge in our area where where Jimmy and I are. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, this is going back 10 years ago where we were dealing with uh, as a coach of rec ball. I remember dealing with that whole thing on a Saturday. You know, we had a few kids that you just didn't know which, which one they were going to go to. And of course, most of the time they were your better athletes. So did you want to say to them, Hey, if you don't show up, then you're not going to be able to play the next game because then they just don't play two games for, for <laughs> you basically at that point. Um, so, you know, it, it, trying to walk that fine line has been tough for quite some time. Well, here's the thing, because we care more about wins than player development, we're, we sometimes don't have the courage to say, you know what, I don't have any problem with you playing uh, travel soccer or playing these other sports, but you're going to play on this other team. These 12 guys on this team aren't going to miss any practices for that reason. So you're not cutting them. You're not, you're not disciplining them. All right. But you're just saying when you're ready to commit to baseball during baseball season, then you can play on this development team. Otherwise, we're going to put you on the recreational team for guys that just want to come here and have fun by just playing. They're not here to put in the time to really, really get better. And there's, you know, other things that are, that I hope we'll get into that I will use to support that. But I don't think we have the courage to do that. It's like, no, this guy's our best pitcher. If he wants to go play whatever, then he's going to go play whatever. We're not disciplining because the whole object here is to win games and championships. Well, is it right? And, and we'll take what we can. We'll take what we can get from them right. when we can get it from them. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And and I got to tell you, Adam, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. That sounds like a great solution to that because Dave and I have talked about this many many times. Is yeah, it's not about the wins; it's about developing the players and commitment is a huge part of it. So if if you're not going to be committed, that's fine. Then, like you said, you play on a rec team and the kids that are committed, they're going to be here all the time. Then they're going to play on a developmental team. I love that idea. That That's fantastic. One, one of the problems, and, and Dave and I spoke about this, I don't know, a show or two ago, is about the way these seasons overlap. Because mm-hmm. we even have now baseball season, I believe it was last week or the week before, where I had a player that was still playing in a basketball tournament this time of year. So, again, it goes back to what you were saying is, is that commitment really there to baseball? And I don't know, I, again, I, what is driving this? Everybody wants their season to be 12 months out of the year. So all of the seasons overlap. Even baseball is is guilty of it because years ago when we played ball, there was no fall season. 
Now there's a fall season. So now it's interacting with football. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Well, think about it this way. I mean, look at what seduces, and I, for the lack of a better word, I, you know, I use that advisedly, but look at what seduces players and families into this. First of all, they require a huge financial investment, right? Yes. Secondly, I mean, they get to travel. You know, I never traveled to the East Coast to play. You know, I traveled around <laughs> Southern California, but kids today, right? They can travel and travel and their parents, I mean, they'll have second and third mortgages to travel all over the country, right? And then, well, if you travel here, you'll not only get this, but you'll get exposure to the next level, right? Colleges, and you'll be analyzed by the latest technology and you'll get to take with you you know, this home, which you can then use for you trying to get scholarships and things like that. They throw so many material inducements, right? But here's the other piece. How many times is a player and his family led to believe that unless you're like the best of the best of the best, you don't have a choice. You can't just play football. You've got to do the 77 camps in addition, right? You can't just play soccer here. You've got to go travel with us year round. You have to do the outdoor, the indoor. Or guess what? When it comes to making the team next year or to moving up to the next level, you're not going to have the same advantage as the other players. So they tell the players, it's not an option. You have to do it. Or they make them believe that in some way you're going to fall behind if you don't. Right. And it's, it's just not true. Right. Exactly. Right. And, you know, that that's the thing. We try to encourage multi-sport athletes. And I know I do. I know Dave does. But it becomes a problem when these seasons overlap the way they do because – Sure, I want, like that player I was just talking about a couple of weeks ago, sure, I want him to play basketball during basketball season. I think it's a great thing. But when I was a kid, when basketball season ended in late February, baseball started at the beginning of March, there was no more basketball. That's yeah. not the case anymore. So it makes it a little more difficult to play multi-sport. Just at, at some point, a coach is going to say to you, well, if you can't be and I'll use baseball and that baseball and basketball example again. If you can't be at the baseball practices and you can't make the games in the beginning of the season, well, then I don't know. I can't use you on the team. And now you're you're discouraging that kid from being a multi-sport athlete. But it's it's not because you don't want it. It's because the seasons overlap and there's no commitment. That's that's right. And think about this too. I mean. Kids today, because they are such great at multi, you know, such great multitaskers, they don't have a concept of rest and recovery. Right. They think they can do all these sports and be equally good. I mean, my grandson's going to play, you know, uh, football in the fall, but he's not going to give up uh, fall baseball on Sundays. And he thinks he's going to go from football practice during the week, football game on Saturday, and play at his best on Sunday as a 10-year-old as uh, at baseball. And he, I, I'm not going to argue with him anymore, but, you know, he's wrong. You know what I'm saying? You, you're not. You, you're, you can only do so much, right? The other thing. But I just feel bad psychologically for the kids, too, guys, that we're making them feel like they're less if they don't. All right? And it's yes. not fair to the kids. You know, That's it's right. like, come on, you know, let's just back up. And this is a subject for another podcast, but let me just put a pitch in here in case I'm not ever invited back again. <laughs> this is a subject for another podcast. 
But I challenge, and I've you know had articles published on this too. I challenge the theory sometimes that the best thing to do is play multiple organized sports. Okay, and that's a here's here's the problem with that. The assumption is when you play multiple sports, you're going to become a better athlete. And there's a many advantages to playing multiple sports over and above the athletic piece. Okay. And, and I won't take time to list them. We all know what they are and they're real. Okay. But if we're really looking at making, let's say a baseball player, a better baseball player, is it really the best thing for that baseball player? Who's second string guard in the football team, second string power forward on the basketball team, doesn't have the same growth mindset to football and basketball as he does on baseball. Is he better at doing that? Or here's the key. Here's the key. I'm not saying sit at home. Would he be better doing a martial arts class? Would he be better doing a uh, swimming class, a rock climbing class, something outside of the box, you know, where he was being truly challenged or even going to a gym and hiring a trainer that is really a movement specialist to teach him how to move his body in an efficient, effective, and coordinated manner. I mean, if you actually go, which I do, because I one of the things I love to do and I recommend to all coaches, watch coaches coach in all sports. You watch the average kid at a basketball practice or a football practice, and I'm asking myself, what athletically are they really getting out of this? And they sit on the bench for most of the game or games, you know, as well. Is it really to their benefit if what their true goal is to play baseball at the highest level, to play multiple organized sports, or would they be better off doing some of these other things to improve their bodies and athleticism? All right. So again, we kind of fall into this trap of doing what we've always done. Question I have is, don't you think that they would still be getting the benefit from playing multi-sports in the practice sessions of those other sports? Not as much as you would think if you actually go watch the practices and you look at just the athleticism that's being developed, I guarantee you that 90% of the time they would get more out of a martial arts class than they would being the second string player on a football or basketball team. The amount of mental discipline and physical coordination that goes into that, same thing with rock climbing, same thing with swimming. I mean, there's no way to fake any of those sports, not fake, or just sit on the sidelines. You know what I'm saying? If you hired a trainer at a gym to work with you for 50 solid minutes, an hour, on who really knew what they were doing, and not just trained you uh, in just a general athletic sense, but related it functionally to the um, to your sport, that would make uh, you know a, a much bigger impact on that athlete than most situations. Now, guess what? If you're the starting quarterback on the football team, if you're the starting point guard on the basketball team, if you've got a, a, a learning curve that's really fast, well, then yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be just fine. You know, you're gonna be just fine. But not everybody falls into that category. So anyway, we'll get, right, off, and that's, we'll get back to uh, what youth baseball needs to do to change. <laughs> well, that's it's it's funny because that's one of the things we throw disclaimers out all the time because we've had people respond to some of the things that we've said yeah. when and they and they pick out a specific example that was you know different than than what we said or you know yes. oh my kid or this kid yes we understand there are those <laughs> players 
out there. Okay, there are the the Albert Pujols, the uh, you know the 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 Kirby Puckets, those types of players out there that you know they're they're going to be phenomenal regardless of what they do. We're yeah. talking about not not even the average player, but yeah. most. We're you know yeah. we're talking about most, not all. Obviously. One of my favorite retorts to my players, a college player the other day sent me some video. He's a college player in Indiana and he, he sent me a video and I said, gosh, a couple of little mannerisms you develop all of a sudden look a little Shohei Otani like. He says, yeah, works for him. I said, guess what, dude? You're not Shohei Otani. Okay. <laughs> but if you can get away with it, 6'4", 220, you can't. All right. right. So let's, uh, let's get back to basics here. <laughs> That's like all the players using their uh, launch angle because they see their, yeah. you know, their their favorite player hitting uh, thirty yeah, home yeah, runs. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, like you said, yeah. When you're when you're six two uh, two thirty, have at it. Can I go to a second principle? I think it's kind of important here for for leagues. You know that you guys, I think, will endorse um, here that I think is really important. Um, sure. That is kind of fundamental paradigm shift in in the way leagues think. I think you really have to adopt, as you guys said before, this person, athlete, player philosophy, okay? You have to look at it as a league and say, if we're really here to coach people, not sports, and it's the quality of the person, not the player that's the most significant outcome, what are we doing more than what we've always done? You know, baseball is a game of failure. We learn by, you know, the adversity that we overcome, et cetera. What are we doing proactively to connect with these people? How are we using our practice plans to connect with the people. You know, I use the quotes from my takeaway quotes book in that way. You know, I mean, at the beginning of practice, we have a baseball IQ uh, quote about, let's just say, for example, tell tells for pitchers, pitches and picks, you know, and then we usually follow it up with a quote having to do with attitude, life lesson quote, having to do with attitude and effort. And at the end of practice, we have quotes having to do with uh, you know, personal success, moral integrity, you know, how I'm going to be a better person in my life. So what things are we really doing to, you know, make sure that we're connecting with these people, all right, uh, our players as people. And, you know, it's really, really important, not just from a, you know, what are we doing just generally in our philosophy, but a player doesn't care, you know, is what you have to try to teach them until you've earned their trust, right? Do you have something worthwhile to teach me? And in the manner you're going to teach it, is it compatible with the way I think and feel? All right. So I don't care what level, youth all the way up to major leagues, you know, if you're going to make a change, if you're going to improve a player, you've got to connect with them as a person. So what, how are we doing that as a league? Okay. Are we using quotes? Are we using acronyms? Are we using role plays? Do we have guest speakers talking about how they, uh, you know, what they're doing in this sport, how it relates to them as a student, how it relates to them as a son or daughter, how it relates to them as, you know, in the future as a spouse or, you know, community and business leader. All right. But, you, you know, some, Adam, this is, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is something that I believe goes back to like you said, getting leagues to change, mm -hmm. it, it all, it all starts with, I believe with education. And I don't mm -hmm. think that enough people at the youth levels, whether it be leagues themselves or it be individual coaches, I don't believe that they take the time to educate themselves because mm -hmm. like what you just said about, I, I start every practice with a quote. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be a motivational quote mm-hmm. or uh, it be a mental performance quote or, you know, something like that. And we take, you know, whatever, five minutes, 10 minutes, we discuss it. Yeah. We go over it because we're trying to build the person before we even talk about baseball. Right. But, but uh, you know, to say what a, a quote from Steve Springer when he was on, I didn't come out of the womb knowing what I know. Mm-hmm. I had to learn it. I had to learn mm-hmm. it from someone. Take the time, educate yourself so that you're going to be a better coach and you're going to be able to, to build that person. I don't think that most people take the time, nor do they understand that. I think one of the skills that's lost nowadays is just reading. When I do my coaches clinics, I say, you not only should be doing something on a daily basis to improve yourself as a coach, whether it's podcasts or books or, you know, online videos or whatever your, you know, sources are, resources are to make you a better coach. You should be doing something to make yourself a better person too, right? Yes, yes. And so just for example, right now, I've just finished a book. I love Matthew Kelly as a writer uh, called Life is Messy, okay? And all the Matthew Kelly's books about the journey of becoming a better person and, and dealing with life. But I'm also reading at the same time, and you guys probably read it too, the bullpen gospels from, you know, uh, Dirk Hayhurst. You know, it's absolutely hilarious, you know, his time in the minor leagues and things like that. But you should at all times be both trying to improve yourself as a coach and as a person, whether it's a, you know, in business or as a spouse or, or whatever. And then I think, you know, you would start to see a more balanced perspective that's brought to practice. And then if they hang in coaching more than just a couple years that, you know, their sons or daughters are involved, they'll start getting these uh, communications of appreciation, as I said before, and they'll realize, gosh, none of these mention our championship or our wins or anything like that. They're all about, right. thank you for making me a better person. Maybe I should spend more time on connecting with the person and, you know, that aspect of my coaching, or at least it should be a, you know, a part that we don't ignore and it should be part of every practice plan training session. Uh, and then I, I think that'll, you know, drive that uh, point home as well. Um, the next thing is that athlete piece, guys. Man, I'm going to scream if I keep hearing coaches say, okay, go run down to the pole and back or go run to the tree and back. Okay, is, is that really what we're after here? I mean, again, if we're going to ask these kids to go mul- play multiple sports, if they're, we're going to ask them to go and really progress in their sport, we have to make them better athletes. We all have an obligation and every sport and at every level to make them a better athlete, okay? And you don't have to have a certification or degree in strength and conditioning to do this, all right? right. You can put a dynamic dynamic movement uh, piece into your practice plan at Absolutely. the beginning that you know trains them how to crawl, walk, march, skip, bound, sprint, jump, hop, and shuffle, in, in gradually more complex routines in every plane of motion. You can do that, all right? Absolutely. And you can ha- you can be trained to do that, okay? So again, yes, is the league going to have to invest in some training? Are they going to have to establish a program where every year we kind of start at this level and we build on that? But this is important stuff, you know? They, how can you ask a pitcher to throw and improve or a hitter to hit and improve if they don't know how to load their hip power. I don't know if this is maybe getting too far in the specific, but I could give you an example of, of 
you know, what I do with youth baseball players um, in this way and how we progress it, you know, or we can just just move on. But we we really have to take this athletic piece more seriously in that way. And, and from a coaching point of view, I just wrote an article and, and you guys, I think, will identify and appreciate this. The title of the article is the first step is to take the glove, ball and bat out of their hands visually and sometimes literally. All right. Yep. And as you use whatever technology that you want, but when you start using technology, even the most basic, you know, camera app, and you start breaking the athletes, players down frame by frame, you will, you will see that you will have the ability to look at your player, throw a ball, swing a bat, and you will not see the ball and glove in their hand, and you will not see the bat in their hand. You will literally do a ground-up analysis just instantaneously with posture, balance, footwork, angles, rhythm, and timing. I mean, every, every time a player does something, your eyes will immediately go to posture, balance, footwork, angles, both in body and in movement, rhythm, and timing. And we have to, we have to train coaches to look at their athletes that way, because you know what, guys, sometimes the answers to the deficiencies in our players are not solved by sports skill drills. They're, they're solved by improving the person's physiology, maybe mobility, maybe stability. They may need more thoracic mobility and sometimes in the way they, they move. All right. So like I said before, even at my nine year old level, I teach them a foot replacement drill, okay, where they're getting in an athletic posture and they're literally replacing left foot with right foot, going back and forth without popping, you know, or popping. And then we progress that uh, in many different ways. And eventually we end up with a box shuffle drill, okay? So, but little things like that teach you to learn uh, to look at the player and see how is this player moving? So, in a practice way, you just take the ball out of their hand, the glove out of their hand, and you actually ask them to take their prep steps and to move forward, left, right, angle back, whatever, and to pretend to field the ball and make a throw with no ball in their hand. But Adam, this goes, th this, yeah. this kind of goes back to what I was just saying before, is yeah. that if coaches don't learn this, if they don't take the time to study this, and do what you said, like you just said, a simple box drill. That I, I don't think that a youth coach would even think about putting that into their practice. What they want to do is they want to get them on the field. They want to hit them ground balls. They want to hit them fly balls. They want to see who hits yeah. the ball the best. And they right. think that doing that over and over is what's making them better baseball players. We have uh, coming up is I'm sure you're familiar with Trent Mongero. Okay. We have one of his infield clinics that we'll, we're hopefully going to be putting on uh, towards the end of the month. And I've never seen him run one of his camps, but from what I understand, I believe day one of that camp, you never touch a baseball. Right. And he's trying to, and he's not trying, he is successfully training infielders that way. Oh yeah, absolutely. And he and Nate Trotsky, you know, work together. They do a fabulous job. And I absolutely guarantee you when Nate Trotsky goes out and evaluates uh, players for colleges and pros, he, the first thing he looks about, I mean, after the intangibles, because the intangibles are hugely important, but, you know, sure. let's just say from the player's point of view, he looks how the guy moves, you right. know, can he move his feet? 
because yes. he keeps posture, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's what they look for. So absolutely, they they absolutely train that way too. You know, they you have to be able to, and that's part of the you know coaching methodology. You start out with dry mechanics without any implements. You teach them about posture and balance and how to use their feet so they have good footwork and things like that. I mean, that's, yep. that's all the foundational things. But let's be fair to coaches too, because let me let me tell you why. Let's let's get real here for a second. All right. Who are these coaches that we're really saying need to do better? These are volunteers at the youth level. They're dads. They're, um, you know, volunteers that have a limited amount of time and they're given a limited amount of time and maybe a limited amount of equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And we're asking them to do all of these things. You make up a very good point. A lot of times they were players and so they know how to play the game. They may be strong on their strategies and tactics, you know, bunt defenses, first and thirds, things like that. But they've never really coached the game. And they certainly haven't coached it to this generation who are not auditory learners. They're visual and kinesthetic learners. They don't know anything about this. I have had tons of college and pro uh, players as assistant coaches. And, you know, they can stand in the third base coach's box and do a fantastic job of coaching the game during the game but they've never been taught how to teach it and matter of fact what they were taught as players uh, is sometimes wrong i mean i hate to say it guys there is more misinformation in baseball than any other sport it's one of our problems there is a ton of misinformation out there so what does this mean it falls on the league to have established systems all right and mandatory progressions, all right, that when you come to our league, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to, you know, teach to connect with the person. This is how we're going to teach athleticism at each level. These are the drills that we are going to have for throwing and receiving and hitting and things like that. Make it easy for these coaches. Have ready-to-go things that these coaches are given and trained for. Okay, train for it. this idea of having the high school coach and his players come and give a preseason clinic to the league coaches is absolutely insufficient. Yeah, absolutely insufficient. Yeah, it's now, not absolutely, enough. Absolutely, the the youth leagues at every sport should be using the systems, the fundamentals, the culture, the philosophies, everything for the high schools that they're going to attend. It should yes. be a high school coach should not have to reteach, only refine. Everything should be very familiar to the coach. But at the same time, high school coaches players only have a certain amount of time. All right? right. So my suggestion is, and this gets back to the point that you mentioned earlier on that we finally have got to, can we play a little, you know, fewer games, you know, especially for the group that's the developmental group. And can we practice more? Yeah. And can we practice three times a week for every game? And can we have coaches that are trained in, you know, being the best we got in hitting, the best that we got in infield, or find your, you know, your Trent Montero, whoever, you know, the best you got at infield, the best we got at outfield, the best we got at pitching and catching. And let's have these guys do weekly sessions with our players in those right. things, three times a week. And then once a week, we meet as a team to go over, you know, how to play the game. You know, right. the game's going to be a little ugly at first. I get it. But you know what? We're getting enough practice to actually develop and improve by guys 
who have that ability. Because some guys, you know, coaches say, well, I know some about hitting. I really don't know a darn about catching, right? Well, if, if that's who you have as a coach, your volunteer coach, you've got that for the whole year. So right. guess what? You've lost a year in developing your catchers. So why not have your catchers go to somebody in your league every week to get better at catching, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a, not, yeah, it's not fair to the coach to say, hey, you should do all this. Well, great. You know, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the, the ready-to-go practice plans and methods. I haven't been trained in how to teach it, right? Right. Um, this is on the league to establish these things so that the players are getting a progression, and they're getting a consistent messaging, right? We haven't even touched on how yeah, they're taught one thing one year as nine-year-olds, and then 10-year-olds, they go, in, oh, well, that's not the way my coach told me to do it last year, right? You guys have touched on this on your other podcast too, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, so by the time they're 14-year-olds, they're confused. You know, it's yeah, like, I don't know, absolutely. I've been told three different ways to do something. Right? Yeah, and believe me, I coach 14U right now, and believe me, they're confused. <laughs> yeah. It's just so, you know, this is we've got to have some ready to go templates and progressions and and things like that, that the league is using year after year after year so that we get these players to have consistent messaging. And we've got to make sure that the players that are there are all defining fun in the same way. Right. Everybody says, let's go and have fun. Keep it fun. Well, guess what? I mean, fun to one person, like Bobo Brayton used to say, the old coach at Washington State, used to say, fun is the great feeling of, play, of playing well, right? Right. But you have a nine-year-old. Baseball is difficult. Sure it's, it is. It, it's not it, any sport to play it well. You have to practice really hard, and there's some high-level technique involved. I'm not saying that. But to play even at the most basic level, we know this, guys, you've got to be able to catch the ball, throw the ball, field the ball, hit the ball. If, if you get a nine-year-old who's put, you know, with other players that are much better, much more committed or whatever, guess what they're going home to tell the parents? It's not fun right. because I, I can't do what the coach is asking me to do. And yet we're out trying to rush, you know, just teaching me how to play the game generally from a tactics and strategy point of view. And we're rushing off to the league games. And now guess what the coach has? He's got a parent problem. Well, you're not making the game fun for my child. Well, it's not that it's not fun, but we're not we're setting the kid up for failure because we haven't taught him the basics. Exactly. You know, so that he can go and actually perform the game at a, a you know a minimally competent level. Right. You know, no wonder he's going to soccer. Throw out the soccer ball. I can kick a soccer ball. You know, right. it doesn't have to be perfect, and right. I can still play. Right. Can't they do can that run around. Baseball. They can run around for an hour without without hesitation. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, and that's not fun. an issue. You know, right. Well, it, it, it kind of goes back to when we opened the show, what I was talking about this year's team, where all of that stuff that you just talked about, um, not having those, you know, those basic movements the the athleticism and, and all of that. And, you know, it's taken me from our winter workouts in January all the way to now to start seeing that 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 is starting to work a little bit. Believe me, we have a long way to go. So I'm not saying that we fix it all in six months. But I'm starting to see a little progress. I'm starting to see the team come together. They're playing the game better because they understand it better. It's because they they didn't have any of those basic skills six months ago. Now they have and some of them. Six months ago, how about six years ago? Can you imagine how fun coaching would be if from the time they got involved in baseball at seven, eight years old, 
they had a system of progressing them as athletes. Oh, no doubt. So that by the time that you had them as 14 years old, they, they've been doing this stuff for, you know, six, seven, eight years. Right. This, you know, this is what we need. And then it's going to help not only baseball, but all their other sports, too. This is, you know, translates to other things. Absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, ju- I just kind of went through the the article where, you know, you had mentioned all of these changes. And believe it or not, it seems like we pretty much covered almost all of the changes that you suggested in the article. There's, there's two things that I wanted to ask you to explain, yeah. uh, because I, I don't see how this this will work. And it's probably just because I've never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. But there were two things. One thing you yeah. said no walks, no strikeouts, no outs, mm-hmm. no score for part of the season. Mm-hmm. And then you said everyone plays and everyone bats every inning. What does that mm-hmm. look like? Tell yeah. me what that looks like. Oh, it's it's amazing when you when you do it. At a lot of the a lot of the organizations and states do this. They have a a lower level called coach pitch or pioneer ball or you know something like that. Where um, first of all, they start off a tee or, you know, some kind of soft toss and they put the ball in play. Okay. And then as they progress, they have what they call coach pitch, right? Where the pitcher will have um, so many pitches, three pitches, five pitches. If the ball's not put in play, right. Then in some way, shape or form, we're going to put that ball in play. Okay. So that every batter, can you imagine how fun and engaging baseball would be? If every batter put the ball in play and the defense had to make a baseball play for every batter, right? Kids don't know what they don't know. All right. If the parents get on board with this, if the league gets on board with this for, you know, at the developmental level, half the year and the recreational level, heck, the whole year, guess what the kid's doing? He's hitting the ball, putting it in play and running around the bases. He or she's having a great time. So at our level this year, the average number of walks between the those two teams that were split up that should not have been split up was 10 per game with a high of 22 wow. in one game by one wow. team, wow. 22 walks, all right? There was not a single game this year where the hits and RBIs together exceeded the walks, okay? The walks were good. So you're telling a kid every pitch to take their prep steps to know what they're doing if the ball comes to me and not to me. And yet the reality is walk after walk after walk. They're they're falling asleep. They're They're falling falling asleep. asleep. And then we wonder why they don't feel engaged and they're not having fun. All right. So now this is, I want to go back to a point I made earlier. I'm not saying doing this universally for every level every year, but I think you have to go to tryouts with an open mind. Do we really have players this year that can throw 60% or so strikes so that these games are going to have a high number of, you know, opportunities for these guys to actually play baseball. See, what happens in our league is there's a walker, okay? Then there's, they have no ability to throw a runner out at second or third. So they're stolen base, stolen base, and they score yeah. on a wild pitch or pass ball, okay? That's yes. how 80%, 90% of the runs are scored, all right? That's not baseball. That's not fun, Okay. So what's a lot more fun is, guess what? Everybody plays. There are no strikeouts. There are no walks. There are no stealing bases until you can get to the point where you've got, you know, pitchers that are able to throw strikes and hitters that are going to be able to put it in play so that we're constantly making baseball plays. That's where the real learning comes. All right. 
Yes. All right. The ball's been hit to me. Did I think before it was hit to me what I was doing with it or didn't I? Okay. But if I'm only hit, we had a second baseman this year that got four balls hit to him the entire season. Wow. <laughs> you know wow. what I'm saying? So, you know, what did he really get out of this season? But if every batter in every game yeah, puts the ball in play and if everybody hits every inning, right, and everybody plays in the field, everything, you're getting so many more reps. Now you're improving, and now baseball's fun and engaging. you got to remember, this is a point-and-click generation. They are used to clicking and having an immediate impact and something happening. Well, Baseball one, needs to catch up with that until they learn to love the nuances of the game. Yeah, one of the things that we spoke to Peter Caliendo about a few weeks ago was at the very young levels, to your point, using a bat that has a little bit bigger barrel, a ball that maybe is a little bit bigger, so it's easier for them to put the ball in play. And again, I'm talking at the very young ages to keep that that activity so that the game is not boring. Yeah. I mean, just just take an objective look at each game. Just I don't care. Again, we get so wrapped up in wins, losses, and championships, okay? Take a look, objective look at every game. How many clean baseball plays were made by both teams in this game? And you would right. be shocked at those at some levels. Again, you're in, you're out. They may vary how few are made. Okay. We have got to, you guys, we got to stop defining success by wins, losses, and championships. No doubt. Okay? You're not a good team because you won the championship. You're not a good player because you have a high batting averages. Batting averages and wins are like grades in school. There's three important things. Number one, how tough were the standards, right? Number two, how tough was the competition? And number three, most importantly, how hard did you have to work to achieve it? Right. Okay. Otherwise, exposure is going to get you exposed. So stop defining whether your team is good, whether you are good, whether your league is good, because you won some mythical championship and really take a hard, objective look at whether you really are developing good people, good athletes, and good players. Right. I, I agree. I agree 100%. Let me just say this in closing, you guys. I a lot of what I said, people are going to disagree with. Okay, I hope. Well, that's that's our special that's our specialty yeah. here, Adam. Yeah. So don't, don't, don't worry about that. I hope you know maybe as usual then that just because they uh, you know disagree with one or two things that we've said or we've talked about, I hope that they that won't close their mind to the possibility that maybe we should make some changes to this thing, you know, maybe that uh, we have to keep our minds open, not for just the development, you know, future development of our players, but gosh, guys, the survival of our game men may depend on it, may depend on it. Yeah. No, I, I think it, I, I think it absolutely does. I, you know, we see what direction it's going in without making some significant changes you know, once the momentum starts going that way, things, things generally don't stay static, right? They get better, they get worse. So if, if we're not making any changes and things are getting worse, and again, Jimmy and I can certainly uh, double down on some of with some stories of examples. We both coach JV ball. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not coaching record or travel ball right now, but I can tell you the level of players that we had, that were full-time starters on, on my JV team, the level of call it expertise 
is not where you would think it would be. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, you would, but not where the average person <laughs> would would think that that it would be. Uh, you know, the things that we have to go over in practice, the things we have to spend practice time at the high school level, is kind of shocking for somebody who you know went through and played their whole life. Uh, just you know, simple things like the you know the approach that they played or hitting cutoff men, and just you know, know knowing how to play the game is. Isn't it sad too the number of years that they've spent? investing both time and money to get mm-hmm. to that point. And that's the level that they're, that they're at, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think every, matter. I'm pretty sure every player on my team was a travel ball player. So they're playing rec, they're playing travel ball for years now in high school. And again, you know, good, good group of kids. I would, it's sure. just, I, I talk with my head coach all the time that, you know, I, I, I wish I had these guys at nine. You know, like that's not that I'm a genius or I'm a, you know, magic, magic man with this stuff, but I I just have to believe had I been able to work with them at, you know, at nine, instead of at 13, 14, how much of a, how much more pleasant things would be right now as, as you talked about. Yeah. Yeah, And also Adam, something that you said where, you know, you think that there'll be a lot of people that may not agree with what you said. I think that one of the one of the purposes of this show is is to put ideas out there that may be outside the box mm-hmm. and have people think about them you know hey you know what i listened to the podcast i heard adam talk about you know this side or the other thing hmm let me take a look at that let me see you know mm-hmm. um the whole thing is to, is to try to get people to start thinking about what is actually happening and mm-hmm. i couldn't agree with you more that the winning, you know, the emphasis on winning, I, I'll tell you just in my game today, I, I was talking with the home plate umpire and I don't remember exactly what the conversation was, but I said something to him that, look, I said, whether or not we win the game today doesn't really mean much to me. I, I want to win. Of course, when I, when I go out there, I want to win. Sure. However, the way my boys play the game today is more important to me than anything else. If they hit the cutoff the right way, if they receive the cutoff the right way, if they take the right lead off first, that's what I'm looking for. And I think if more people understood that that's what we're trying to do, it's not about the championships, the winning a rec league game, that I think that maybe, just maybe, we could start to turn this around a little bit and people understand what the real goal is. It's to make better baseball players, not to win something. Let me let me give real quickly a definition of winning that may help people out there may change this paradigm shift. When I finish a game, I ask myself two two questions, all right? Could we have beat our best competition today? The best team in the league, the state, the nation, whatever the best of it, could we beat them today, all right? And the second thing, maybe more importantly, in the way that we went about our business, okay? The preparation, our hustle, our work ethic, our perseverance, our play, our sportsmanship. Did we inspire those who watched us, the other team, our families on both sides, the umpires, whomever? Did we inspire them to be better in their lives? If we did those two things, and we, we won. won. That's if right. we didn't, we lost. That's correct. And I agree with that 100%. I'm sure, Dave, you do too. Of course. Of course. Absolutely. So, 
All right. So Adam, how do, uh, how do our listeners find out more about you? Where okay. can they, where can they uh, get your book Thank and you. uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So my two books are on Amazon, Coaching Champions for Life, The Process of Mentoring the Person, Athlete, and Player. That's a book on coaching methodology, methodology, systems. You know, it's not a book primarily about how to throw a field and hit a baseball. There's some of that in there. It's a, it's a systems and methodology coach, how to develop athletes, uh, players, teams, etc. cetera. Uh, and then takeaway quotes for Coaching Champions for Life is there as well, hugely useful in designing practice plans, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, I have my website, uh, coachingchampionsforlife.weebly.com. There's a hot stove page on there where I publish articles regularly, the ones that get uh, published in Collegiate Baseball News and by ABCA's Inside Pitch, as well as other ones. So if they want to read along with my ideas and get other tips and outlines and processes, they can get that there. So the hot stove page on that website. Yep. Okay. Excellent. How about uh, any social medias? I don't, I don't, I, I stay off uh, social media. Yeah. Okay. Pro- probably a smart move. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So go out, go out to the website, check him out. Uh, you can get his book through there. You can get it on Amazon, uh, his books, I should say, and get on Amazon as well. Very, very highly recommended by Jimmy and myself here at Clearing the Bases. Adam, appreciate you taking your time. We know everybody's time is valuable and uh, and and limited, so we really appreciate you taking the time and coming out and talk with them, talking with us today. I'm sure that our listeners have gotten a lot out of this, and uh, we look forward to uh, talking to you again down the line. Thank you so much. Yes, let's do it again. Let's let's do it again. Great show, Adam. Thank you again Thank for you. coming Thank on. Thank you, guys. Be well. Take care. Take care now. Thank you, Adam. All right. So that's Adam Sarancic. What'd you think, Jimmy? I thought it was a good conversation, Dave. I like the idea that, well, from, from his point, he understands all of the things that we're trying to promote on this show. Right, right. And and I think we need to, to clarify a little bit. I, I don't think it, it came up really within the conversation, maybe once at the end. You know, obviously, he's talking about when we talk about uh, developing youth players, a lot of people are thinking more in terms of the, the ages that we're working with the, the, you know, your 14, you, your junior high, that level, he's really talking about right at the ground level, whatever age that may be. I know, although you and I may not be a big fan of it, but you know, players starting these days at four five, six years old, again, where you, you talk about what do you even need a, a glove for at Correct. that point? Um, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't need a, a regular small barrel bat at that point to develop and make sure the kids are having fun and they want to come back, make it a little easier for them. So something that we've talked about on, on past shows with, uh, with uh, different ideas with that. So it's more about getting into movement, getting into athleticism than getting into baseball. Right. Right. And, and also the, the same belief that we have where if you teach the basics to young players you teach the basic part of the game that by the time they get to us at the jv level you know even a freshman level jv varsity level you don't spend a lot of time on these basic principles and the fundamentals that have to be taught at an early age and let's face it the early and i've seen this with I've, i've given hitting lessons to kids as young as six years old and at first i was 
I was taken aback by it a little bit that, you know, what am I going to do with a six-year-old? Well, you want to know something. It's a lot easier to teach a six-year-old how to hit than it is a 14-year-old after he's been hit swinging wrong for 10 years. Right. right. You're not untrained. You're not untraining him. Right. So, you know, yeah. let's get them when they're young. Let's, let's, you know, let's teach them the fundamentals when they're young. Let's get that out of the way so that you could coach baseball when, when they're older. Right. Right. And we got to, we got to keep growing. We have to get back to growing the base, um, yeah. get the kids in, keep them interested. So they want to keep coming back year after year. So the sport that we love can, uh, can start to grow again and survive. Right. right. And that all goes back to what we always say about fun. And I, I, I think that the, the other thing too, where, you know, I, I believe that people sometimes get a little mixed up where with, with the fun, because, it's it's supposed to be fun for the players, for the boys and girls that are playing at the young age. I think more people are trying to have, and I'm talking about adults now, try to have fun for themselves because they want the game, they want the win, they and that's fun for them. It's not fun for them to watch kids run around a field without a glove doing the the fundamental things that they need to develop that athleticism. Well, that's not fun for the adults. No, there's nothing for them to brag about. <laughs> you know, you know the, there's nothing for them to put in the trophy case at that at that point. So, right. um, yeah, that's no good. But uh, all right. Well, hey, uh, as always, we want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. I uh, hope that you got a lot out of this. I know Jimmy and I certainly did. And uh, we do. We, we plan to have Adam back again uh, down the line where we can get into some deeper topics um, than, than what we got into today. He's got a lot to share. So look forward to talking to him again. Uh, everybody appreciate you driving our numbers up week after week. It's fantastic. You want to get in touch with us. We are at the CTB show on Twitter. We are um, clearing the bases at gmail.com for our email address. Go ahead and reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Uh, please rate and review, subscribe, rate and review the show, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your, wherever you're listening to us, uh, drop us a line on there. Let us know what you think. Give us those five stars that helps drive us up the ratings. It helps spread the word of, of the show. And the more that that spreads, the better it's going to be for us. And the more interested we're going to be in continuing on to bring you great uh, information like we did today with, uh, with Adam. So uh, thank you all. Uh, can't thank you enough for tuning in. Keep doing so. And always remember, only two things in life that we can control at all times. That's our effort and our attitude. Give us 100% effort. Give us a positive mental attitude, PMA, and great things will happen. Final thoughts, Coach? I just want to thank everybody also. I haven't done it in a while. You know, the very uh, first few shows, every show we would end, you know, we thank everybody. But I haven't done it in a while, so I just want to say thank you to everybody. We are just humbled by by the the way the show is taking off and now we're starting to get more and more guests and guests that that are going to have a lot of valuable information for everybody to take and learn from so you know thanks again everybody really appreciate it and always remember people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care thanks again everyone we'll see you on the next one mm-hmm.